This podcast is sponsored by Pearson, the team that brings you the self, GFTA, and now the new PPVT5 and EVT3. Enjoy a special 10% pre-publication discount when you order these vocabulary tests before December 31st, 2018. Learn more at pearsonclinical.com slash PPVT5. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined by Chris Bouguet. Hi, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm great, Rachel. I had another fabulous week of AAC coaching and implementation and working with speech therapists. And I got something, I got to do something really unique this week. I uh, was able to go to New Hampshire for a presentation. I took a day and I was there with um, two other people in the field of AT, um, Mike Marotta and Jennifer Edge Savage. They asked me to go up to New Hampshire and, and work with them with some of the teachers that they're working with. And we got to talk a little AAC while they were up there. There was some, the session wasn't all about AAC, it was about how to start and how to implement assistive technology, how to do a, a program. But there were a number of speech therapists in, in the room. And when I was talking about talking with tech, one of them was like, wait a second, I know your voice, which was, that was cool. Um, but at one point in the session, we had asked them to uh, come up with things that they wanted to know more about and then things that they could share more about. And we gave them different categories in which to talk about. So one of them was like um, transition supports. Another one was uh, literacy supports. And then one of them was AAC. Like, what do you want to know more about AAC? And what do you know about AAC that you could share with others? And so just go to the wall and put your sticky note up and, and, and tell us. And there was just this slew of sticky notes under the AAC side, as you can imagine, you know, because it's it just, again, reinforcing that it's not just the neck of the woods that I live in or that you live in, that this is, again, something that we're struggling with worldwide is, is how to implement AAC. And so I thought I'd read some of the, the questions, Rachel. You want to hear what some, of the, what some of the people put on their sticky notes? I'm very eager to hear because that way we can help, right? That's what this whole podcast is about, is trying to, to answer some of those questions. Well, okay, again, about this podcast here, someone specifically wrote, uh, I would like to know more about success stories with those with complex cognitive and physical needs and the hows. How did they become success stories? Which I think we have tried, and of course, I think in the new year, we are going to continue to try is have users on the podcast to kind of share their stories. How were you successful? And if you haven't listened to the Chris Klein episode, um, it's fantastic. Uh, he is a AAC user and it's amazing to see him use his system. Um, and I think that like exactly like you said, Chris, we're just trying to find more stories to share. So if you know of anyone um, or you are someone who listens to the podcast who happens to be an AAC user, we would love to have you on to talk about your experience, talk about what worked, what didn't work. Uh, this is all really helpful information to practitioners, um, to parents, um, to see those su success stories. So this is a little tangent off the wall, but also something I got to do this week was I participated in AT chat. So on Twitter, every Wednesday at eight o'clock, there's an hour long Twitter chat where everyone uses the hashtag AT chat. 
Uh, and on that AT chat, there was some people who were device users. They came in and said that we are users of device. Actually, it was Carol Zangari that was doing the, uh, the moderation for this particular AT chat. And so there were device users that were giving their, their input. And I was like, hmm, I might need to reach out to them as potential guests for the podcast. But that's another strategy. People can go to the Twitter chat and just check up and see what people were saying. Because that's a great way to, to get authentic voices of people who are using AAC. Back to the wall for a second. So here was another sticky note, which is not something we have covered yet, Rachel, but I'd be curious what you think about this. It says, I'm interested in learning how to store and save large files so that SLPs can access them. So like uh, backup the, uh, the backup systems, um, many video modeling files, uh, visual boards. Where can they house all of that stuff and keep all of that stuff? Any <laughs> ideas? I mean, my first inclination is Dropbox because um, I use Dropbox for a lot of the backups, which by the way, let's talk, let's do a little uh, public service announcement about the importance of backing up systems um, because I have experienced all too often um, the system that fails or the iPad that breaks and we don't have a backup and we don't have a current backup. Um, so it's just something that I constantly have to remind myself too. Um, you know, a lot of these systems now they have automatic backup that you can, you know, log into your Google drive or your Dropbox account and they will automatically backup. But it's really important to just make sure that's toggled on and to just keep checking that periodically um, because there's nothing worse than spending, you know, hours and hours and hours, you know, continuously programming and updating, you know, vocabulary on a device only to find out that it's completely erased uh, because of a technical malfunction. You know, what I was thinking when I read this was uh, Google Drive, which I think is another place that people keep, and in many school districts, they have gone Google. They might have already be working in a Google environment, so a student might have their own Google account, so you could be teaching the student how to back up their system and put it on Google Drive if that's a, an option, or if not, then the, the people working with the student could be keeping it in Google Drive. So those are the two big ones that, that, that came to mind. I could also see you know, keeping things on a, a portable hard drive someplace as a, as a backup, you know, like a physical copy, not a, a cloud-based copy. But um, I, I lived through that pain. My daughter will, will forever uh, never let me forget how we crashed our system and didn't have it backed up. And we lost all of her baby pictures from age like, you know, from birth to two, you know, so uh, I feel that pain. <laughs> I know. It's like technology can be wonderful until technology goes awry and then it could be your worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, so here's another one. And this was actually uh, twice. There was two different people that put the same thing up on the, on the board. It was, I'd like to learn more about feature matching, uh, and was, uh, how to do AAC evaluations and how to do, like this, the word was treatment. I was like, well, that's a pretty big scope there, but just feature matching. We ended up talking about it in the session and I could see us talking about it too. This idea that in order to uh, select a system, you look through the, the a student's needs and then after you have everything you need to think about to consider about a student, then you go looking for the tool that might match all of those needs. Right, exactly. So feature matching, just the idea that we're looking at the specific features of a system that would be really beneficial for a child. So I, I actually just got the question, what is feature matching? Um, and so that's exactly what it is. Um, and it's a, a process that we go through when we're trying to figure out what technology can work best for a child or an adult, um, making sure that we have, first we look at the features that would be great, and beneficial, and then we go kind of seeking out the system that has those features. 
You know what? It's, what it, here's the example that I used, Rachel, there is that it's because we're right after Black Friday, right? And uh, Black Friday, what do people do? They go on Amazon and they go look for the Black Friday deals on Amazon, right? And so at least I did. You know, I imagine a lot of people did that too. And so you're scrolling through like, what are the deals? And before I know it, like I've done an hour of just pressing the next button, looking through all the random items that maybe might come up with, um, I don't know, with my wife like that? Oh, with my son like this? Do I, with my aunt like this thing? That's a terrible way to go shopping is looking through all the inventory that might be beneficial to someone I know in my life. A much more efficient way is to go, okay, I know my son likes Legos and I know he likes Batman. Lego Batman? Well, now my selection is, you know, you type that into the search and if it happens to be a Black Friday deal, great. If not, okay, but at least I get something that I know he would enjoy and he would like as opposed to just some random stuff. Exactly. It's a better fit. And that's the the point of feature matching um, is just you want to make sure it's a really good fit with whatever technology you decide to use. So I love, love, love that. Such a great activity, Chris. I, I mean, thank you for getting some some fresh topic ideas for our podcast. So there wasn't, there was one more thing I got to do, Rachel. And so Mike Murata actually uh, got a bunch of uh, merge cubes. And I know you have some experience with the merge cubes and I had seen them, but I never actually played with one. So he, he gave me one. And of course I brought it right home when I played with my kids and, and, uh, uh, tweeted about it with my wife holding the merge cube. So you want to explain what a merge cube is? Yes. So a merge cube is a new technology that uses augmented reality, but the merge cube itself is actually a foam cube that you can hold in your hand. So you, you use it in combination with augmented reality apps. So if you're holding the merge cube and you're using either tablet or iPhone, um, what you see through the screen is augmented reality. So it's part reality, meaning you can see your hand and you can see the room that you're in. Uh, but it's also, you know, not complete reality because when you're looking through the screen, something crazy pops out of the cube. Like, um, a dragon is my favorite one. I love AR dragon, which you, you can, um, you don't use with the merge cube, but it's a augmented reality app that is really great. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of a, a short synopsis of what the merge cube is and, and how it's being used. So someone asked when we were playing with the merge cube, I had it in my hand. And, and one of the things that Mike showed was that you could have this campfire come up. And this is the free app that kind of illustrates what it does, right? So you don't have to pay the merge cube you have to pay for. By the way, we, we are not sponsored by a merge cube. It was just a cool thing that happened this week. Um, but the, uh, so we had this merge cube, you ha hold the free app over it and a campfire now erupts in your hand, right? And so someone was like, what, what's the educational use of that, you know? And, and so I was immediately like, well, oh my gosh, that's core vocabulary right there. Like how you could illustrate that this is hot and that it's there and that you want to, um, uh, put out, you know, and you could try and stamp it out and then make the, the, the fire go away. And we just started brainstorming all these different ways to use. And that's just one particular app, you know, this little campfire that can erupt in your hand, turn the cube into a campfire. There was this solar system and skulls and a heart and uh, all sorts of fun, fun activities. And I was just like, my mind was racing with how much more fun is this playing with the merge cube than, I don't know, doing a, a paper, like rip this piece of paper off Velcro and put it on this side of the folder, you know what I mean? Or, or take a peg and put it in this box, you know, this is so much more engaging. At least it would be to me if I was, if I was a student in the class. 
Yeah, absolutely. I um, actually consulted on an augmented reality app for kids with autism that helps teach social skills. Um, and so there's a video that I made actually, which demonstrates this perfectly because I feel like it's kind of hard to conceptualize what this cube does without actually seeing it. Um, these new technologies, these, you know, that are emerging are so hard to, to really visualize because they're so new, right? And innovative. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to use technology. And I think that the novelty factor is huge because kids get so excited. And when you see that spark of excitement, that's a communication opportunity. So I think it's important to remember um, for all the all the haters out there that are like, well, what could we do with a fire in someone's hand? Um, I mean, the potentials are endless. If kids get excited about it, that's step one. Um, and you know, who wouldn't get excited about something, you know, a ball of fire in their hands that's not actual fire. I mean, that sounds awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, so something else we talked about was something called what was more illustrative of what we are really trying to get at at this whole um, presentation was something called the set framework which is, um, was created by someone named Joy Zabala, and it is uh, a way of looking at how to select the tools that you wanna put in place for a student, and it's really like coming to a shared perspective. And that is, ties into a little bit of, of our interview today. Rachel, you tell us about Kurt Warner. So Kurt is a retired NFL player, um, and he actually has twins with autism. They're 24 years old now. And he just came out with a book. Uh, it launched December 1st. It's called The Warner Boys. And he wrote it with his wife, Anna. And it's such a great book. Honestly, I am just so excited that they could come on the podcast and talk about their experience. Um, you know, it's just a really raw um, account of, you know, everything that they went through uh, raising twins with autism. And, um, I, I'm just, I'm pumped. I'm so excited that they were able to come on and that Chris, you were able to, to join us today. Yeah, it's, it's not often that we get to do the interviews together. And it's great that we got to be there and talk with uh, them. And they were such a great couple, right? So much fun. And uh, they had this engaging spirit with each other. It, it, was, it was great. Well, one of the things that they were talking about through this interview was different strategies that they have used over the years. And it kept coming back to, in my mind as we were listening to them and we were chatting with them that how do you come up with the, the strategy that you want to put in place, you know? Um, and so we, th we thought maybe we'd brainstorm some, some strategies we use with, with families when we're talking about uh, what kind of tool we put in place. It also, this, this kept coming up in New Hampshire as well. People wanted to jump to the tools. It often is like, give us more tools, give us more tools. And I think families do that as well. Give us the solution to the problem. And I, I, I think one of the things we have to do, and again, getting back to this set framework, is analyze what the problem is in order to come up with the best tool. Because if we jump to the tools too soon, we might not match the right tool to the problem. Uh, so one way to talk about problems is to talk about the student. That's so the S in the set framework is give us as much detail and about information about the student as possible. Talk about the environment that the student is in. Let's, let's get the details about what's happening with the student in, in their environment. And then the tasks that you're asking them to do in those environments. And when you analyze those three areas and get as much information about those three areas as you can, you can then have a better informed decision about what tool to put in place. And, and the way this looks in, you know, real life practice is getting really specific with parents and saying, you know, what is, what is the biggest problem that you're facing right now? Um, oftentimes when I get a new referral, the first question I ask is if I had a magic wand and I could fix anything, 
what would it be? And sometimes it's communication related and sometimes it's not, but it's really indicative to me of what a parent is really struggling with the most. And we talked with Kurt and Anna today and, you know, they talked about a lot of what goes on in these families is behind closed doors. And Anna talks about how, you know, she has a smiling face and she did the entire time her boys were, were growing up and, and nobody knew until this book came out actually that, you know, she had a lot of uh, struggles. And um, I think that the, the biggest indicator to how we can, how we can help families um, is just asking and just getting really specific about what that looks like. And um, sometimes it's not communication related, but that's okay. Um, There's ways, communication's everywhere and pervasive, and we can figure out ways to incorporate our communication targets um, while simultaneously helping solve a problem. Um, And I think that once you do that for a family, they trust you and they're willing to, you know, trust your opinion and they value your opinion because you validated and you helped fix a problem that they had. And that's so important um, in the initial stages of any type of therapeutic relationship. Um, You know, just kind of feeling out the problem and figuring out how can I solve this problem for this family? Sometimes the problems are large in scope. Like, how do you help my child communicate better? That's a very large problem. But then others are maybe a little bit smaller in scope and a little bit more manageable. Like, how can you help me get through bath time? You know, they tell a little story that made me think about it where they said, you know, one of their children went in and went to the bathroom and all of a sudden water was every, everywhere, right? And they're just getting through a day where they're, they weren't spilling water everywhere when they're trying to brush their teeth or, or, or take a shower. Well, that's something, it's a very targeted thing. Well, okay, how can we make the bathroom experience better? How can we make the toothbrushing experience better for you? Well, okay, let's talk about it. What does your child do when they're going to brush their teeth? Why do they leave the water on? What could we do to help them as a reminder? Could a, could a visual support help? And even there, like, I'm ready to jump to the tool. Let's put a visual support, but, but maybe we need to dis- discuss it a little bit more about the, the, the task. Well, okay, what's the type of toothbrush that, that you're using? Is anyone else brushing the teeth at that time? Uh, what is the lighting like? Uh, what time of day are you doing that? What happens just before it? And what happens just after it? Like really analyzing that situation can get us to much better uh, tool strategy of, of what the visual might be or what the tool might be to help them fix that problem. I have a very practical uh, idea that I use for bath time routines, actually. Um, so there's an app called Peppy Bath. Have you heard of this, Chris? No. Okay. So it's a really fun app. Uh, I think it's a few dollars and kids love it. It's this, um, it's this app where you choose a character and, um, this character is really dirty. Um, he has like, you know, a dirty face and like messy hair. And so he's in front of a sink and you have to wash his hands and he has like, it's not dripping out of his nose. And it's like, really, he's gross. Uh, but he needs to like clean himself up. He needs to brush his teeth. Um, and so a really great strategy to use if you're able to be in the home, um, or you could even, you know, potentially do this in a classroom as far as washing hands and, you know, blowing noses and things like that. You, you give the command. So you're like, okay, we're going to turn the water on. Um, and after they turn the water on, then they can do it on the app. Um, so it's like a, it's a way to kind of take them through the process. Um, so I do it, you know, I'll, maybe I'll do a prep activity where we just play with the game and then, you know, to transfer that gameplay to real life, I bring the app along with us to the bathroom and I'm like, okay, let's turn the water on just like we did for peppy bath. Um, and it's just a really interactive way to use technology. Um, it doesn't always have to just be sitting, you know, at a table, um, with a device 
the nice thing about iPads, they're portable. You can take them wherever you need to go. And it's just a really great reinforcing activity for kids who are learning those, those types of routines. And the reason you know to put that app in place and to do that activity and put that in place is because you spent that time to recognize that's the problem that needs to be addressed uh, that will make the life a little bit better for everyone in the environment. The, the child's life will be better. The parent's life will be better. And then if you could do that again with, okay, what's the next biggest issue? Okay, maybe it's um, dinner time or maybe it's going out to dinner or maybe it's uh, just getting in the car. Okay, let's analyze that situation and let's come up with a, a tool or strategy or intervention to target that. And before you know it, now you've if you keep adding up those little problems you can, and coming up with little solutions for them, you can then have an intervention strategy that works across the day. Yeah. And I love that you bring out specific routines because I think oftentimes we're really general. You know, we want them to use these kinds of words across, you always see in the IEP, across all settings and all routines, um, this kind of blanket statement, um, which is important for an IEP because it's long term, you know, it's a year and we don't want to be limited necessarily. But I think that when we're thinking about short term implementation strategies, we really need to get specific about what routines what we're targeting. Um, and I think starting with the ones that are, you know, pretty challenging um, or causing, you know, like you said, Chris, the most problems um, is a really effective strategy. The other thing it's, it's really good for is it's not overwhelming. So if you tell a parent, okay, we're, we're going to work on the word go every time that we get up from dinner, for example, um, you know, you give very specific ideas as to how they can start implementing these strategies and they're more likely to do it versus just a general recommendation of like, oh, use the word go this week. And then kind of like, you figure it out. <laughs> you know, that's never a good strategy. People like to know exactly what to do and they're more apt to do it if you give them the nitty gritty details. Yeah, I think breaking it down with a task analysis like that is is the way to go, you know. Uh, and I find that strategy is not just for parents. I find that with teachers as well. I, I, I've made that mistake where I've gone in and said, okay, we are going to implement core vocabulary all day long. All right, how are we going to do that? Let's break it down. And sometimes that can feel uh, very overwhelming for a staff member or for a teacher. So, so, okay, let's see if we can implement it in these two parts of your day. And next week, let's see if we can implement it in these four parts of your day. And then let's from these four parts of your day, these eight parts of your day. And crescendo out, if you will, pardon the pun, but crescendo out in that way to make it the entire day eventually. But trying to start with do it all at once is just too overwhelming for just about anybody. Absolutely. Um, so before we head into the interview, Chris, so before we head into the interview, Chris, I have a, a surprise. A surprise? Yes. I love surprise. I know. We have 95 reviews on iTunes. Oh my goodness, we're so close. I know. So you guys know, because you're dedicated listeners to our podcast, that we've been trying to get to 100 reviews on iTunes before the end of the year, and we're five away. I'm so excited. I think we can do it, Rachel. We're five, only five people. It's just, it's, you could be the one, listener, right now. You could be the hundredth person. You could be the one that puts us over the edge. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I want to read one that I just really loved. Uh, thank you for pulling it all together. This is from Beth SLP. I've abandoned top 40 radio to listen to podcasts. Your touch on so many facets of AAC helps me to apply my critical thinking to each episode. You give me confirmation that I know what I'm doing, resources to hunt down or topics to analyze, whether I agree or not. I have a rotten schedule, but I'm able to use my time in the car to my advantage. Your presentation style is relaxed and kind. Thanks. I love that we can help with her rotten schedule. <laughs> I know. I love that, that adjective, rotten. <laughs> Do we have any more? 
Yes, we do. Linda B. SLP says, I was introduced to your podcast by a colleague about a month ago, and now I can't stop listening. I have a 30-minute drive to work and sometimes just can't stop listening when I arrive. I've been an SLP for 27 years, but will never stop learning. AAC and AT have always been a special interest of mine. I've been blessed the past two years to work with four students with complex communication needs. Your podcast is helping me advance my teaching and coaching with the nine paraprofessionals that I work with, and to gently overcome the overuse of a prompting method that has been pervasively used with these students. Any continued advice on the coaching method specifically when faced with an existing program embedded in RPM would be very appreciated. Keep talking. Um, Okay. So I think that she's giving us an idea for a future podcast episode. You know, absolutely. And and it's so interesting you you read that one because that sort of ties back to the interview. I think um, the Warners mentioned how they had uh, different doctors and different advice that they wasn't always great. You know, at the time they didn't know any better, but now looking back on it and reflecting, they were like, Hmm, they had to undo some things that, um, that maybe they, they wouldn't had if they had the, the, the proper advice. And it sounds like that's what that uh, reviewer is also saying is that they have to work now extra hard to change something that was put in place. And so that's what one of the whole purposes of this podcast is to put out good research-based information, evidence-based practices that, uh, so people don't make those mistakes. They can be more informed. So if you guys haven't left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We have five left um, with only small amount, a small window of time before the end of the year. Um, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, there's, there's amazing discussions going on within the Facebook group. Uh, just search Talking With Tech and it will pop up. Um, we just had a giveaway go off in there, uh, which was really exciting for, uh, from Jenna Rayburn from Speech Room News. Um, there's just all the stuff, all the things are going on in the Facebook group. So don't, uh, don't miss out. Please join us if you're on Facebook. So before we head into the interview, Rachel, I just wanted to say one other thing. I just want to say one other thing. You read the book, The Warner Boys, right? Absolutely. And it is awesome. I thought it was a really, really well done book. The story that they told, I think, is a story that needs to be told more often. And I would highly recommend you guys picking the book up and reading it. Seems like a perfect holiday gift. So we will link to that in the show notes so that you guys can have access to, to the Amazon link. And yeah, I'm sure I know that the, the Warners would appreciate it. They've been getting a lot of really exciting feedback from the book, it sounds like. so It's definitely going on my Christmas shopping list. Absolutely. I know my uh, wife would love it, I'm sure. I mean, the way they were talking about it, they definitely sold me on it. Perfect. Well, without further ado, let's head into the interview with Kurt and Anna Warner. Well, welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined with my co-host, Chris Bougay, and I'm so excited for our interview today. We're here with Kurt and Anna Warner. Um, Kurt is a former running back from the Seattle Seahawks and Los Angeles Rams, two-time All-American out of Penn State, a three-time Pro Bowler. His wife, Anna, is mom to four amazing children, including twin boys with autism. She has dedicated her life to caring for her family and studying the treatment of autism. Both Kurt and Anna have delivered keynotes at the National Autism Conference, and they just released their first book, The Warner Boys, which documents their experience raising twins with autism. Kurt and Anna, I'm so excited to have you guys here today. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to be here as well. So just tell us a little bit about you guys, your family. I'm so excited to talk about this book. It really touched my heart in a lot of ways. Um, So thank you guys for being here. And let's just start by giving us a little intro. I'll let you start, honey. (laughs) 
Uh, well, um, I am from Brazil. I moved to United States in 1989. Met my my prince, my uh, <laughs> my husband, in uh, late 1989, we got married 1990, yeah. and we have four wonderful children. I am from uh, West Virginia. Uh, my father was a coal miner, uh, and uh, went to a school in Pennsylvania, Penn State, uh, on to the NFL. Uh, Finished with the NFL, or they finished me uh, <laughs> in 1990, and I met my wife, and uh, we have been married for what? almost 29 years. Almost 29 years. Yeah. So, and we have four wonderful children. That is amazing. And I have to tell you, Kurt, so I'm from Pennsylvania. I have a lot of family who are Penn Staters. And so oh. when I told them who was coming on my podcast, they were so jealous. <laughs> So big fans, big fans over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, of course. Um, so let's kind of dive right in. Uh, you guys just had a book release, uh, The Warner Boys, which documents your experience. And it, it, I, I guess my first question is, what was the impetus for writing a book? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't one of those things where we said, okay, we're going to write a book. It, I think it happened over a period of time, probably 10 or 15 years. And I kept saying to myself, as we were going through all of these uh, issues, behavior issues with, our, with Austin and Christian, you can't make this up. <laughs> and it's sort of a, a nonfiction fiction sort of life that we're living. And uh, we were just dealing with a number of challenges. And, and at that time, we just didn't have time to oh, sit yeah. down and yeah. to write down anything other than the fact we were just hanging on for dear life. Yeah. And trying right. to understand what we were going through with the diagnosis and with the educational process and all the other stuff. But one thing kind of led to another. And, uh, you know, it was after the Penn State conference a few years ago that we had created an outline. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I think we may have an outline for a book. And that was kind of how it sort of started from there. And then we met Dave and a few other people and yeah. kind of, and, and now we're in the process of being authors and had a book released a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Well, I think it was the, uh, we knew we had a story to tell, but we were hoping that it could help other families and uh, or educate the public a little bit more about severe autism. Uh, you hear a lot about the high functioning, the Asperger's and, you know, the kids going to college and being successful and, uh, um, opening companies and all of that stuff while there's the other side of the spectrum as well that is not talked about it because is um uncomfortable to uh read or to see uh kids like that um out yeah. in public or be talking about it so uh i i thought you know what this is uh, uh there'll be a good opportunity to yeah. to teach a little bit, educate the public, and uh, hopefully have more um, compassion. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a challenge for on a number of fronts yeah. uh, with regards to, you know, just, uh, you know, the diagnosis and then just uh, the behaviors and then family and friends yeah. and all of the things that we've had to 
kind of deal with over a period of time and not really talk about it. I mean, yeah. cause there was no one to talk to about it because try to explain that to someone yeah. as to why your children are behaving a certain way or your friends come over to your house and you got holes in your drywall all throughout the house and it looks like a war zone and your kids are out of control and you don't really, you, you can't put your finger on it. And, uh, and the only thing you can do is just kind of take it day by day. Yeah. And that's kind of where we go. Let me ask, how old are the boys right now? They're 24. 24 years. So, so we're talking about in the, in the late 90s, mid 90s, when, when you're starting to experience the, these sorts of uh, behaviors and you're having, what were the early years like when you were realizing that your children had autism? Well, uh, uh, first uh, we had Jonathan, our first son, or our second son, our first son was stillborn. Uh, but Jonathan was a very calm, happy baby. And then when we had the twins, they were fine in the beginning, and then by 18 months old, two years, uh, things start changing. Um, hyperactivity. I mean, these kids were climbing on everything and uh, um, eating non-food items, and they had their own language. Um, and we kept asking the doctor, you know, you know, is this normal? <laughs> What's going on? And yeah. the fact that the boys were bilingual at the time, and um, I was trying to teach them Portuguese, and um, I was um, advised by a doctor to stop doing that because that was delaying their, um, that was probably one of the things that was delaying their language. And yeah. then there was, you know, twins. Yeah. I usually they have their own language. There was yeah. a number of things. It was just boys a are usually late, and I'm like, okay, yep. when they're 15, they're gonna start talking. Um, <laughs> so you know, we just went that way for a long time. But we started to get really closed in on not being able to go out uh, because they would just run opposite directions, and and that was crazy. Um, yeah. So when we moved, we moved from Seattle to um, the Portland, Oregon area, area but is it, we're still in the state of Washington, and we went to a developmental pediatrician a month after we moved here, and five minutes in the room with Austin, who's a little bit more high-functioning, uh, five minutes in the room, she said, it's yeah, autism. autism. And I thought, you know, it's going to be ADHD, and she's gonna give us a pill and it's gonna get all better mm -hmm. um and I was like no 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 and I thought it was my fault I thought it was bad parenting um because something I was doing was um making them yeah. hyper and but crazy. it wasn't you know but it, it was it, it, yeah it the doctor didn't say, yeah the doctor said it's not your fault this is not you you doing it so um and we left that meeting with a diagnosis of autism. And we only, the only reference we had was Raymond. Mm -hmm. And that I could, I was like, no, my kids are not like that in the movie. And um, it just, I got home and uh, tapped on the computer, autism, and started the research right there.
Actually, that was one part of the book that I loved. Um, you said the internet became my classroom, my library, my community. Um, can you just speak a little bit to your experience using, you know, the internet and research online and online communities? Um, because I think that's a lot. There's a lot of support networks now with social media so pervasive. Um, I think there's a lot of of community that you can find because it sounds like when you were going through all of this, it was very isolating in a lot of ways. Very. very. Uh, back then, you talk in 1999, um, yeah. um, the rate of autism was low. So I, I typed autism and I was, I would print everything that I could so I could read later and have like binders. I guess maybe that's why Austin has all these binders. <laughs> And, and it was like my research and, and diet and uh, ABA and um, speech. They, we took speech them. Yes, yeah, was speech therapy was like twice a week and ABA. And, sensory. Yeah. Issues. And sensory. Yes. We, we, we went through the whole gamut. Yes. It was 40 hours a week. 40 hours of ABA a week per child plus um, speech therapist uh, plus. uh He's busy. Uh, yeah. 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 That's a, a lot of the kids that we work with. I mean, their schedules, their schedules. Yeah. I can't even understand how there's not enough time in the day to do all these therapies. It sounds yeah. like that was your experience too. Pretty much. Pretty much. And, and online, I mean, there are a lot of communities that you started uh, uh, to get involved. And, but later on, as the boys grew uh, older, I ended up focusing more on dietary needs, biomedical uh, interventions, and going that route and, um, and changing diet and, you know, the whole cooking forever and... Uh, yeah. Gluten-free <laughs> and... Gluten-free, dairy-free, food preservative-free and food mm -hmm. coloring-free, soy-free, and you, the list goes on. Her, it's a big list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually... So impressive. I was reading and first of all, I work with a lot of children with autism and I've seen significant improvements with dietary changes. Um, you know, there's so many different, there's so many different things out there and there's no one size fits all. Right. But I do think that kind of exploring those options can really help with, you know, attention and, you know, some of the digestive issues that a lot of kids with autism have. Um, so I was really happy to see that, but I also know what a time commitment that is. I mean, it oh, sounds yeah. like you dedicated so much of your time and life to just kind of buying fresh food and preparing fresh food and oh, these things. Job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she, and she does a great job at it because if it was left up to me, we would be in a lot of trouble. Ordering pizza, <laughs> trying to find some gluten-free pizza, <laughs> gluten-free, dairy-free pizza. I think that diet would have been gone long. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You actually, you also guys, you talked about um, a lot of your own personal health struggles and kind of the toll that it takes over time. Um, and one of the, the parts also, Anna, that I loved in the book, when you hear those announcements on the airplane, if the oxygen mask comes down, put yours on first before you help your children. You said, you know what? No mother will do that. They'll put the child's mask on first every time. And I just thought that was so powerful and so true, right? We know, we know the rationally speaking, like, yes, we need to put, you know, our own mask on first. But I feel like when it comes to actually implementing that, it's so hard. It is. It is. Uh, 
you know, when you end up, uh, like the boys and I take um, this vitamin that has helped me with my chronic fatigue. So when we are kind of running low, I would rather give it to them than to take it myself and I'll wait for the next shipment that comes. So that's what we do. And that's, you know, I'll, they will get the best part of the, the, the meal than we do. So it, it's just part of parenting, I guess. And I think that a lot of moms out there who are listening can completely relate to that. And I just thought it was, it was so eloquently written. <laughs> so can, can I jump in and ask a question about their communication? Uh, what are the boys' primary mode of communication? Are they using verbal speech? Some of the people that listen to this podcast, they use communication devices. They are verbal. Um, Austin is more verbal than Christian. Um, he um, talks nonstop. About his subject, and he will try to, to tell you uh, that he, you know, needs to be doing a recording upstairs on the DVD or whatever. Christian is uh, has apraxia as well, and uh, so it's more um, difficult for him to express himself. And so you have experience with speech therapy, I would imagine. Yes, yes. yes. We did uh, in the beginning, and then it was just like, okay, I, I, it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And Christian would probably benefit from uh, speech now. Yeah. It's hard when you get to this age is um, the services kind of stop when you're 21. Mm-hmm. So it is uh, really trying to figure out, okay, what can we do here? Or how, you know, it, it, you end up uh, trying to maintain. Kinda, they are. Yeah, and yeah. maintain a, a household that is kind of calm. And, uh, um, and here he is, Mr. Speaking Austin. Speaking of Austin. <laughs> We're on an interview here. Hi. Say hi. You hi. Say? Oh, this is perfect. Hi. 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 Hi, hi Austin. Rachel. Rachel. And this is Chris. Rachel, Chris. Yes. Where's the DVDRs? Uh, <laughs> Let's get to business. Okay. <laughs> we'll do that later. Okay. After lunch. After I lunch. promise. I promise. Okay. VHS. Okay. Can you turn it down? Because you got it way too loud. Okay. In there, please. Thank you. Service. Turn yeah, it down, no please. Service. Turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got the what, what's he got on now the television <laughs> a day in the life <laughs> I mean, oh boy he All sounds right. like he sounds like kids that just have their, their music up too loud <laughs> exactly yeah. my mom will yell at me for the same thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So let, let's go back a little bit. Um, I want to talk about those years where the words weren't coming because it sounds like it took a long time for communication to happen. And I work with a lot of families um, and, you know, a lot of them were, were implementing technology, you know, because words aren't coming. So we can use other alternative means to kind of help with that. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that wasn't as pervasive back when you guys were going through all of this. Um, so just talk about the experience of having kids who aren't able to communicate communicate what they need and what they want. Um, and the, the boys, by the age of five, they had, Austin had about five words, some in Portuguese, some in English. Uh, Christian had less than that. Um, so a lot of, well, behavior is communication. So um, 
a lot of screaming and hitting and crying and uh, a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have iPads or anything like that that they could use to communicate. So the walls and they the would screaming take it out and, and yes, uh, became part of the communication. And uh, it's still hard to... Um, not now, Austin. It's still hard to do so. Um, okay, honey. Because, like, for Christian, Christian hit his head for on the floor or on the walls for three years, and we couldn't find. I remember going to a pediatrician, and the pediatrician was like, "Oh, it's just his autism." And I was like, "Last week, he didn't bang his head. He still had autism." Right. So something is happening. This mm-hmm. is not autism, just, you know, and yeah, uh, something changed. Course, yeah, and we don't have that pediatrician anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, he couldn't tell us that his stomach was hurting. Mm-hmm. So it was just trying different things uh, mm-hmm. that were not helping him. And uh, it's just, there was a way for him just, okay, I'll hit my head. And that numbs everything, and that pain would I'll concentrate on this pain and forget about my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his communication, and mm-hmm. uh, not being able to tell you what hurts um, it's hard it's hard as a parent to to see your kid like that and not being able to communicate and it's just a guessing game in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah. Yes. Were, did anyone suggest picture symbols or some sort of alternative communication system other than just verbal? PACs. Uh, we use PACs in, they use PACs in school, um, but it was still no way to communicate that, okay, my stomach really hurts and I need something uh, to, to, to stop it. Uh, there was nothing. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, we tr- we tried uh, because of his headbutting. Uh, we had not headbutting, had banging. We had to stop. We were going to pri- private school with an aide, and we had to stop uh, because of the 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 behavior because of the headbanging. It was just too much, mm-hmm. and uh, he was in pain. Poor thing, he was in pain. I know that has to be so hard as a parent to to watch and to not be able to to help in a lot of ways. You probably felt so helpless. Yes, it was it was us in tears uh, all the time, just holding him, trying to figure out what to do, and uh, changing doctors to see if we could help. Um, not getting much of anything. Once you got the digestive things under control, did you notice a huge decrease in the self injurious behaviors? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and he still has digestive issues. He still has malabsorption, and um, and that's something that uh, uh, we're still dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Anna, there's a portion of the book that's really raw and vulnerable where you talk about the depression that set in for you, um, and I'm just curious, um, you know, what shifted. Because, it, you know, I could, I could sense, you know, from reading that something shifted in you. And I just would love for you to talk about, you know, that shift in perspective. Because, you know, I know a lot of parents out there, a lot of our listeners, they're, they're, they're going through those initial stages of diagnosis. They're not sure if their child's ever going to communicate. They're having all these behaviors, you know. So, of course, there's lots of things that go along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, can you just speak about that a little bit? 
I think I've dealt with depression. Uh, well, after having the twins, I had postpartum depression. And um, so I've dealt with depression most of my adult life. Mm-hmm. But during those times when the boys were, were doing therapy and um, we're still, you know, not sleeping well, um, just busy, busy, busy with therapy or with, you know, and yeah. speech and this and that and exhausted. And it was nonstop. And the only times that the boys would kind of calm down was when we'll get in the car and I'll just drive around. I'll just drive and drive and drive. Most of the times in, you know, in tears. Um, and, and I thought, you know, Jonathan and Kurt would be better off if we're not here. Um, that, and I never told Kurt that until we wrote the book. And, uh, and of course, you know, getting my, uh, my medication and making sure that I was um, taking care of myself mm-hmm. as well. And I think after the fire, my, mm-hmm. my uh, perspective um, on life changed um, because it was we lost 95% of our stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, wow, but I have what is important, my husband and my kids. So we'll go from there. So I, 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 still, I still deal with depression. Um, it's something that uh, I'm very blessed to have a husband that understands me and that uh, is always there for me when I need. All I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm not having a good day. I'm having a hard time. Um, and if I need to go to bed early, um, I'll do that. Uh, he'll stay with the kids. So I'm, I'm very blessed that he is, he's there for me. Absolutely. Yeah. There was another quote that I loved from, from the book. When one of us was down, the other had to pick up the slack. If not, we'd both just be waiting in self-pity. You can live in that self-pity or you can just face the fact that there's no way out except to keep fighting, um, which I think can just transcend, you know, any, any struggle, right? Um, you know, there's always a period where you kind of are like, oh man, this is hard and my life is hard and all these things. But at the end of the day, um, you know, that doesn't really change the situation that you're in. Um, um, so really changing your perspective and just deciding to, to keep on fighting. Um, and it sounds like you guys have a beautiful marriage and a beautiful relationship so that you're able to support one another. It's a lot of prayer, a, yeah, lot, a lot of, of prayer. prayer. We um, pray every day together. And um, here comes the other one, Christian. Christian, can you come and say hi? Hi. Come here, over here, look. Money. <laughs> hi, Christian. Hi, Christian. Say hi. Hi. Oh, yeah. That's Rachel and this is Creed. Man. Yeah, okay. Here. VHS. Yeah, I know. We're not going to get that. Okay. Oh, my gosh. VHS. Yeah. Throwback. <laughs> VHS. So we'll finish VHS. the breakfast. No, VHS. Uh, that's not ours. <laughs> not ours. Okay. Can you put it down? Back to beach No, we need to do this. Okay. Bye. 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 Okay. Now you. I, no, this is perfect. I'm so happy I got to meet them. <laughs> I feel like I'm just like so excited because I got to meet you guys and then I got to meet them and I just I'm really. Excited. I know. <laughs> well, we'll work them in here at some point, or they'll work themselves in. <laughs> exactly. They won't be left out of the party. <laughs> Speaking of, of fun, I feel like there were a lot of moments of kind of comedic relief uh, in the book, which were really funny. Can you guys share some some fun fun stories? Oh, there's always something <laughs> funny with pick, the boys. Pick a day. Um, 
one of the things uh, the boys like to watch um, Disney videos um, in different languages on YouTube. Okay, yeah. uh, Austin sometimes we use an appropriate um, sentence, uh, what a sentence from a movie in an appropriate setting. So one day our daughter Isabella, she was little and she was having you know one of those meltdowns, tantrums, and crying. Austin was in the kitchen with me. He looked at her and looked at me and said, like, what's happening in French? <laughs> <laughs> like you spoke French. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. He just looked at her and looked at me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. There's always something. You, I mean, there's always something funny. And, uh, and they are. They are characters. Yeah, I love the um, the headphones story. Can you share that one? The one that he ate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bought this little, little headphones. It just came out and it was to block the noise, the little earbuds, just to block the noise. I bought it for Christian and I thought that would be perfect for him because uh, he's always covering his ears. That would be perfect. I go looking for the thing that only the case was out. I said, Austin. Have you seen Christian's earbuds, his headphones? I ate them. <laughs> what? <laughs> I paid like $25 for the thing and he ate them. So. Oh, that made me laugh out loud, actually. <laughs> that was great. But there's always something there's always going something on. Going always. On. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, Can I jump in and ask just a quick question here? Tell us about your two other children. You have two? Yes, we have Jonathan and Isabella. Jonathan works for iHeartRadio. Uh, Sports a, talk yeah, show. Yeah, Sports he's an executive producer for... Um, uh, 620 iHeartRadio, which is a morning sports talk show. Over here in Portland. In Portland. Yeah. In the Portland and uh, he had a hard time growing up, of course, uh, especially after the fire, uh, because, I mean, his whole world was destroyed and he was a teenager and uh and he hated his brothers for that um and uh, so when we wrote the book we wanted him to be part of it yeah. so he has yeah. a chapter mm -hmm. and uh because a lot of times the siblings don't have a voice um they are neglected um we had to apologize to him later yeah. on and after yeah. reading his chapter we had to um ask him to forgive us for, you know, putting him kind of on the side and uh, 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 because we're dealing with so much. But he now, I mean, he's found peace about mm -hmm. the whole process, loves his brothers and loves to help. And uh, Isabella is a little firecracker. She is a little sunshine, always happy, always smiling. Oh, not now that we're getting the teenage years and we have some more issues, but uh, right. he is the best sister. Yeah. Loves she them the way job. they are and just um, takes care of them. So she's really good. The life lesson out of this thing is uh, for, for parents is don't forget the other, the other siblings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. don't, you, you find a way to work them into the, 
to what you're doing that week, whether you go out, you have a Friday night or a Monday night or a, a Saturday night, night yeah. some type of date night where you can get out. And, and we did that. We did divide it to, you know, but not, Kurt, but yeah, not, but not, not, a, not as, as we much. Should. Yeah. Not as Kurt much. was uh, doing all these sport things with Jonathan, taking him, you know, uh, uh, helping coach baseball and doing the, all that stuff with him. And I had, uh, we would sit down at night and watch the Cosby show, just Jonathan and I lay down in bed in my, my room and uh, watch the Cosby show. That was our time together. But, but the thing that you have to keep in mind from a family perspective is that it, things are going to change and the things that you would normally do as a family, you may not be able yeah. to do them as often. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, there's always going to be some type of, uh, uh, issue and so whatever if we go out to dinner we're just oh, kind of yeah you know maybe on on the edge stress, <laughs> the stress of going out to eat is uh yeah but you try to keep it as normal yeah. as you can but sometimes you just you, you just sometimes you have to let it go of yeah. that uh you wanted to have your normal life whatever that is whatever um that is. because you start comparing your life with your neighbors your friends um try not to do that uh because that would definitely uh lead you into depression and uh and there's no secret recipe no no this. i think you have to just uh, uh let go of what you thought your life was gonna be mm -hmm. and started kind of just writing a new New chapter. New chapter, and uh, which sometimes is is, is hard, but uh, you got to let go of what you thought your life was gonna. Was and we still struggle life. with that daily. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like okay, we're, here's the remedy to the secret yeah. of life. No, we, we it, it starts over. Well, it's hard because you're you know online and you see somebody going to this wonderful vacation that you know took the whole family and enjoy. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. So it is just it, that is we hard. Could, we could do it, but it would be a, well, it, it would be a challenge. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> would it be worth it? It would be worth it. It would be a very yeah. tough challenge yeah. to do that. So. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be a vacation. No, not for us. <laughs> From <No. laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, because it would. So it's hard not to compare. And uh, when you see things like that, or you see, you know your friends celebrating, you know, your, their son or daughter graduating from college, from college the same time that your child was supposed to be graduating from college or mm -hmm. when he's 16, they should be driving. And so all those things that you, you have to mourn over, you know, okay, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that. Um, and it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you must find successes in other ways. Absolutely. The little things. Yeah, you, we count our blessings. They, they, the little things that for other families, they wouldn't even pay attention uh, will be, you know, oh, look, he puts his shoes on the right foot, you know, and that's awesome. Or, yeah, he used the, the knife appropriately. So those little, little things that we... Um, or yeah, they, they go put it, you know, go get dressed, go upstairs and get yeah. dressed, go get a shower and get dressed without having the water all over the place. Yeah. And then the clothes exactly. all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you just go like, oh, yeah, come on, help me out here, partner. Yeah. <laughs>
they he, they may have followed a direction that you maybe weren't sure they were going to follow, and then you kind of look at each other and cheer like he. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So those little things that we celebrate. Kurt, you talked about the lesson for parents. Do you guys have a lesson for professionals? Um, we have a lot of speech therapists who listen to this podcast, and you know, you have had a lot of experience with doctors, therapists. Um, you know, what do you think the lesson for for professionals working with families, you know, who have children with autism? What do you think the the lesson is that you can impart? Well, I think uh, will be somebody reads this book uh, to understand that what goes on behind the doors, behind closed doors. For you guys, might be 45 minutes or an hour with the kid. Those parents are exhausted and they're doing this nonstop. There's no weekend off. There's no vacation. There's nothing. And those parents are struggling. Because I had, after the book came out, I had a teacher that used, she was Jonathan's kindergarten teacher, Austin's kindergarten teacher, and Isabella's kindergarten teacher. Um, And she wrote me a note saying that she never knew what was going on because I was always smiling. I was helping in class and I was always smiling because I could hide my pain really well. Mm -hmm. So, just know that the parents might be smiling, might be, you know, but what can I do to help? How's everything at home? What can we do for the child to communicate better at home? Or even if it's not, the parents are not doing the homework or whatever, um, understand that they might be at home trying to survive, trying to keep their heads above water. So be gentle. Be, you know, give them, yeah. Understanding, sympathetic. Give them some grace yeah. and understand that um, there's a lot of hurt going on. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely. And I think that's a really, that's a great reminder. Um, and something I try to remind myself of often when I'm, you know, working with a family or I'm going into an IEP meeting to talk about, you know, progress and things like that. It's just, we don't know what goes on. Um, and like you said, it's just 45 minutes or an hour and, you know, we move on to a different, a different child. So, um, it's really important to have that empathy, um, and understanding of, you know, what might be going on that we don't even realize, you know? True. Is there anything else that you guys, you know, would like to share about the book or, you know, anything else you'd like to, any gems of wisdom you'd like to impart? I can't think of any right now, (laughs) to be honest with you. Yeah, just for people to be less judgmental uh, when you see a child having a meltdown or, you know, because most of the times these kids don't look like they are, they have a disability. So a lot of times people give the parents the mean look, the judgmental look said, you know, what kind of a parent are you? So try to be less judgmental and be more compassionate and uh, more helpful. Um, you might have a neighbor that is struggling to, you know, keep going. Mm-hmm. And uh, offer something, offer help. Can I, you know, can I come in and help you out? Or, you know, the can I take your neurotypical kids and go and play with my kids so that can give you a break? Um, so just be helpful. Yeah. Give some grace. And That's accept- good advice for everybody. Yeah. yeah. 
And I think too, just acceptance, I think, and that's probably a lesson that you've learned and, you know, your children have learned, um, you know, firsthand is just the idea that we need to be accepting of, you know, individuals that are a little different than us, which I think is the silver lining in, in stories like yours is that, you know, it's just an important reminder for everybody to just have more tolerance and acceptance and empathy. Yes. Yes, definitely. Well, I have to tell you guys, I love the book. To all our listeners out there, you have to go read it. It's called The Warner Boys. It was just released December 1st. We will have the link in our show notes so that you can click on it and and get reading it. Um, it was just, it was really powerful for me, you guys. And it was a story of resiliency. Um, and I think that even, you know, I think it's great for parents, but I also think it's a really, it's a must read for pr- practitioners and professionals because it just gives insight into to what does happen and behind closed doors Um, and, you know, how families can struggle with a diagnosis and, you know, children with autism. So I just, uh, I would highly recommend everyone read it. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm so excited to to share your story. Thank you for writing the book. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And thank you for reading it. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Absolutely. So for talking with tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Chris Bugay and Kurt Anna Warner. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.